Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. This is the John Oakley Show podcast. Joining us on the line right now is Peter Weltman, Ontario's financial accountability officer, and he's crunched the numbers. Peter, welcome back to the Oakley Show. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me. All right. So uh, all these teachers, 10,000 losing their jobs, and I know this becomes a dire warning. You hear it from the teachers' unions and so on and so forth, and uh, people, you know, who ostensibly care about the quality of education. Is it really as ominous as all of that, or is there something else underlying it? Well, I think it's important to explain that the 10,000 teacher jobs are jobs that won't be there, that would have been there had class sizes not been increased. And the reason for that is fairly simple. We have increasing school-age population over the next five years. It's actually increasing at a a rate that's double what it's been over the last five years. So increasing population drives increasing enrollment in schools. And on a steady-state basis, if you don't change class sizes, you're clearly going to need to hire more teachers to teach all those extra kids. But if, and the government in this case has said no, they're going to increase class sizes, so they will require fewer teachers than they would have had they not raised class sizes. And that's where the 10,000 comes from. All right. And so uh, when we've got teachers or the unions complaining about this being, whether or not it's attrition, there's still going to be positions lost, is what their complaint is. Uh, The province has countered with a $1.6 billion temporary funding uh, to offset that, haven't they? Yes, they have, and we did an analysis on that fund, and we found that there is sufficient money there to ensure that no teachers are laid off because of the increase to class sizes. There's actually a little bit, probably a little more than they need, but those are, you know, very small difference between our numbers and the government's numbers. So that suggests the quality of education won't be seriously hampered or compromised. Well, I'm not sure how, you know, quality of education is actually another study. We didn't look into that, but these are certainly things that we would hope that MPPs bring up when they have their chance to examine the government's education spending estimates at committee next month. Yeah, we should point out, I guess uh, one could say you're rather agnostic. You don't take a position on any of this. You just look at the numbers, right? We look at the numbers and we try to provide some analysis to members of parliament, provincial parliament to help them ask the questions around whether this is good or whether this is bad or should it be different. So we, we kind of give them some underlying baseline uh, analysis, such as if the teach the class sizes get, uh, get increased, you'll see a savings of $2.8 billion over the next five years, probably $900 million ongoing. Does that have an impact on the quality of education? Well, that's, that's a great discussion for MPPs to have with the government. Is it $2.8 billion, how, you know, how much of that is going to compromise or not the quality of education? Again, with Peter Weltman, Ontario's Financial Accountability Officer. When you talk about cost drivers, uh, the other one, of course, has to do 
with uh, public sector compensation growth. Uh, you mentioned that as well in your study, do you not? That's right. So the two, the key cost drivers in an education program are, as I said, enrollment, so population, and inflation, part of which is, is salaries. So the other piece that the government has, has introduced as a way to try to, to lower that growth of spending in education, apart from class sizes, is to cap the growth in teacher salaries to 1%. And that's via some legislation that was tabled uh, in the House just before the House rose for the summer. So it's not law. It's still on the books. I mean, it's not on the books yet. It's still kind of being considered. And what we did is we, we looked at that and we compared it if against with, uh, inflation, the inflation factor for teacher salaries, and we found that there was significant savings there. So the difference between keeping salaries at 1% increase versus uh, indexing them to inflation, uh, we looked at point nine, again, $900 million in savings in five years from now. All right. We're talking about savings here. Uh, there's sort of a net benefit to the taxpayer is what your scenarios that you run are suggesting. There is a reduction in government spending. Okay. That's what it, that's what it comes down oh, okay. to. Okay, that's another yeah. way of saying it. Okay. Yeah, I suppose, yeah. Well, oh, all right, when you're running these different scenarios or models, for example, uh, on this matter of class size, and that would change, you know, uh, the number of teachers required, uh, you, uh, I think in the study, if I'm reading correctly, had it going from 22 up to 28, but Minister Lecce, he had retracted on that. He had said, uh, we'll only take it to 22.5 on average in the secondary grades. Which model did you run? Well, he said 22.5 for this fiscal year. So the way the numbers work, the way the math works is that the, uh, the, the, the class sizes go immediately to 28. So the school boards are only getting funded for 28 students per class, not for 22. And then there's that secondary fund, the Jobs Protection Fund, to fund any teachers that would otherwise have to have been laid off to allow them not to be laid off, to allow them to continue teaching. And um, so there's those two elements to it. Um, and I'm trying to remember the question, and I apologize. I just, just went Well, I was just asking if it changed the equation, if you've got uh, the, the example is 22 and a half students oh, yes. on average, or 28. Yes, that's right. So basically what the, what the ministry is saying is that when it, everything shakes out, when they have all their class sizes figured out, they'll be effectively funding classes sizes of 22 and a half. So between the funding they promised this year through the grants for student needs, which is what pays teachers, and then through the job protection fund, the total of all that funding will enable school boards to run classes of 22 and a half people. We're saying it'll probably be 22.9. Again, these are numbers that we projected uh, using a different set of data, using StatsCan data. We've, we're assuming that there'll be more voluntary retirements than the board is. It'll all shake out in the end by the end of October once the school boards report back on their class sizes. So again, these are small differences. All right. And Peter, finally, are you projecting uh, higher annual growth or uh, less than? I mean, we've got inflation to be factored in there, but I mean, if you've got all these moving parts, uh, how do you see a- a- average annual growth going? Um, or is it lessened? Spending, it's I guess. Lessened. It's lessened. It's steady. It, it'll be it'll be lower than the 2.7. We didn't we didn't calculate exactly how much lower, because of all the moving parts. Um, but that would be again a great question for the the ministry and, and committee when the members do finally meet. All right, uh, because we're never sure. You know, sometimes we we'll hear the argument that there are being serious cuts from one camp and from the other. Uh, you hear the government say we've actually increased spending. So <laughs> I'm well, not... I think there's a simple answer to that. The spending is increasing on a nominal basis, 
but it's not enough to keep up with the natural cost growth of the program. So, you know, you can't really uh, prohibit kids from enrolling uh, because you're trying to save money. I mean, I suppose you could. It's probably not going to be politically viable to do that. But, but effectively, there is a real cut to the program. Not a nominal cut, but a real cut. Well, and then we hear that enrollment is down. Uh, that's being said rather glibly, but in different boards, I guess, uh, enrollment might actually be going up. What is the truth? Well, what the StatsCan data shows and what the, the same data the Ministry of Finance uses to project its own enrollment growth or that, that it provides to the Ministry of Education, they're projecting enrollment to go up by 0.8% per year over the next five years. Enrollment growth was only 0.3% over the last five years. So yes, enrollment was declining, if you will, in some cases, or it wasn't, it wasn't going up that quickly, but it will start to accelerate. So enrollment growth is going up, and both of us and the government are saying so. All right. I'm curious as to why that would be. Is just a matter of demographics, uh, greater population growth uh, in general? <clears throat> Any these idea? Are things we're, yeah, we're, these are things we're looking into, but effectively we're into a demographic shift where we have, an, a, the millennials is a bit of a funny word to use, but a lot of folks in the, 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 the kids of the baby boomers are now having kids of their own who are now, you know, school age and coming into the system. Immigration has been a little bit higher than expected, and certainly there's an awful lot of immigrants who are coming in with young children, young families, so they're adding to the system as well. So there is growth, which is, you know, effectively a good thing. There is growth in the population, and that's what's driving growth in enrollment. Do you weigh in at all on uh, what to do with the existing uh, school system as to how many schools are necessary? Uh, Some may be shuttered. I know in the rural communities there was a big cause for concern that a lot of the schools uh, didn't have the adequate enrollment, and they, you know, were starting to ship kids at great distance to another school to try to concentrate the numbers there. Do you weigh in on that at all? We don't in this report, but you're not the first person to ask this question, and it's something that we've been considering here as a team. But certainly this is all part of the delivery of the program, and, you know, maybe you need to find different ways of delivering education if you're running a whole bunch of empty schools. It costs money to do that. Uh, So there are, you know, but there are considerations that policymakers need to take into account uh, because schools represent, in some cases, a lot more than just the school. It may be a community center, maybe lots of other things. And these are all things that I really hope come up in discussion at the Standing Committee uh, when it meets in October. Right, because that's a political question, the cost-effectiveness of uh, education expenditure. Yeah, Yeah, these are important questions. I I appreciate your uh, filling in the blanks on a lot of the questions that we had for you this afternoon. Peter, it's always a pleasure. Thanks for your time. Terrific. Thanks for having me on. You got it. Peter Weltman again, Ontario's Financial Accountability Officer. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.